Today, the five principles for financial success. This is the Seven Figures Podcast Smart Money Strategies for Women with Sandy Waters. CFP VP at Morgan Stanley, Erica Cummings, is back in. Thank you. You're welcome. All Always right. a pleasure. The cool thing about Erica Cummings, I don't know if you guys know this, not only does she come on the podcast the first Friday of every month and get us in line in order, but also you host these free workshops yes. that are just open to anybody. Absolutely. Open to women. Open to women. Yeah. We don't like to exclude men. We I don't. feel guilty when we say I that. Know. But we feel more open and relaxed when there are no men around. Yes. We try to provide a safe environment where you can ask those questions that you might be embarrassed or maybe intimidated to ask yeah. in other settings. And it, right. re- it really does work out nicely that there is no pressure to yeah. feel like you're asking a wrong question. You yeah. can just be vulnerable and make it. A not a taboo subject, which is what it typically is. Yeah, to yeah. get you to be more engaged. Yeah. So it's not that we don't want to educate men. And we certainly do workshops throughout the year that are open to everyone. But we do have a whole series that is dedicated to women. Okay, wonderful. Yes. And part of your workshop, you did host a five principles for financial success as part of your workshop, right? Yeah, so the, the workshop is called Demystifying Your Finances. And basically the three parts are the five principles for financial success, the four most common mistakes that people make with their finances, and then the four questions that you must answer in order to know that you have a grip and a good grasp on your total financial situation. So we figured today we would focus on the five principles. And obviously there's more to the workshops Mm -hmm. than we're going to be able to cover today. The workshops are about an hour and a half, but at least we'll get an overview so that women can kind of take this as an end cap to the year. So we've spent the year talking a lot of specifics and Mm -hmm. timely conversations, whether it was planning for summer vacations or planning for spending for the holidays, which lo and behold, here we are. Yep. But this is a way to wrap it all up at the end of the year and really have those principles to hopefully start 2020. Okay. Believe it. uh, On a good foot. Exactly. And last week or last week, last month, um, there was a lot. Yes. There's a lot of it. And you were funny. You're like, oh, my gosh, that was like. We went from being exciting to what I would consider to be the boring part of my job in but, no time. But it's so important yes, to it really have a good understanding. Yes. Muscle through it. Yes. Uh, scroll back if you missed last month's episode. But it was all about what really is a 401k? What really is an IRA? Yes. I know it's just a lot of facts. Yes. But important facts. It is, especially as you get to the end of the year, like we talked about, Mm -hmm. where you may be getting bonuses or you may not have taken advantage of the full benefits that you have, matches from your employer, that we want to make sure we get those in because a lot of those do have uh, deadlines by the end of the year. So, okay. So now we soften it up again. Yeah. Now we make it fun again. Instead of me sounding like I'm reading from a textbook. <laughs> okay, so but it but see we won't Very read important. the textbook. Yes. You read exactly. it for us. Exactly. Okay, so now the five principles for financial success, starting with number one, would be what? Number one most important thing, which goes back to what we talked about in January, is making sure that you have a financial plan. And we hear this all the time. Mm-hmm. Financial planning, financial planning. What does it actually mean? And when do I need it? Is the two questions that I get from most people. Okay. So a lot of younger people feel as if they don't have enough of a complicated situation in order to really need a plan 
or they don't really understand how important it is to look at the whole picture. So when a lot of people think of financial planning or they think of financial advisors, they just think about investments and they simply think about which mutual fund should I own or how should I be picking my investments? They don't think about how much of the, the picture is involved with every decision that you make. So when we think about a financial plan, we like to think of it as uh, preparing for what would be a lifetime of critical financial events. Okay. So your whole life, you have these critical financial events. Some of them we absolutely plan for. So we decide perhaps to buy a certain house or a certain car, or when we're sending our kids to college, we're helping to pick out the college that best suits the family's budget. So there's a lot of critical financial decisions that we are able to really plan for and know all the numbers and and to figure out whether or not we can afford it. We know it's on the horizon. Exactly. But then there are those critical financial events that we can't plan for. Some we really just don't even know are going to happen. So, for example, we don't know if we're going to become disabled. We don't know if we're going to lose our jobs. We don't know if somebody's going to become ill. Things we do know. Unfortunately, we haven't figured out a way to not die. So at some point in time, we know that we have an end to our life expectancy. And especially for women, this is critical if they're involved in a marriage because you want to make sure that you take into account how much longer we live. And a lot of times there's that age gap, too. So I think I've mentioned before, my husband is four years older than me, and we tend to live about three to four years longer than our male counterparts. So that could be seven or eight years well beyond what we would be planning for as a married couple. So we don't know when these things are going to happen, but we know they are. So what we try to do when we think about financial planning is these critical events, you're going to either stumble or fall, or you're going to have times where there's just no way to truly nail a date or a time that something is going to happen. So think of a mattress. If I'm going to push you down, you want to have the thickest mattress possible because you know you're going to fall and you know it's going to potentially hurt. Yeah. But the thicker we can make the mattress, the less painful it's going to be. Well, now that's a very good analogy. Don't go cheap on the mattress. Exactly. Don't go cheap on your plan. Yes, because it's the same. A cheap mattress means you're not sleeping well at night. A cheap or no plan means you're not sleeping well at night. Ooh, I like that analogy. We are all going to mark that down. That's a good one. Okay. So really, every step of your life, there is some form of planning that needs to be involved. And at times in your life, you're going to pull different things that we've talked about throughout the year, whether it be your investments, your estate plan, your insurances. Mm -hmm. All of these different parts of your plan matter more than others during particular times in your life. And you want the good plan so it'll last. Exactly. And so the plan dictates everything. It dictates your very short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals. It dictates how you then allocate your resources to satisfy those goals. It dictates decisions when we're going to retire, what colleges we can afford to send our children to, what price point for a home that we purchase? Can we afford to go on vacations? All of these things come back to a plan. And that's what you refer to when you say have a plan. 
talk out those questions with your spouse or whoever it is yes. if you're sharing the the finances. A hundred percent. Write yes. it all down. What what are what are our goals? A hundred percent. And in order to make sure that every other piece of the pie is functioning, yeah. or you have enough life insurance, or maybe you have too much, or you don't have an estate plan and you need a will and all of these different components. Yeah. The only way you'll ever know enough is if you actually go through the planning process. Okay. So when we think about, I show a pie chart in the workshop and it's three different levels. And we talked about this earlier in the year, three different levels of, of knowledge. So there's this tiny little part of the pie. That's the part that we know what we know. Then there's another about 30% of the pie, which is the we know what we don't know. But then the largest part of the pie is not Mm -hmm. knowing what we don't know. And so by doing the planning process, you start to discover more and more little things like not having proper uh, property and casualty insurance on your home. If you have a pool, not having umbrella insurance. These are all these little things that yeah, yeah, yeah. when you're sitting back and you're thinking about everybody has those stories, the friends who had something happen or the family member who passed away early, all of that when we're fundraising and we're doing things to help those families potentially could be because they didn't do the planning. So to me, there's no matter what age, starting to have conversations about money and starting to talk about planning is is critical. Even as they get older, talking about how, how much the family can afford to spend on college yeah, and one. having an understanding within the family about budgeting and that this is not just a, oh, I, I want to go. So therefore, yeah, I'm going to I like to go. the sports team. Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes Which yes. my daughter said, I go, listen, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Good luck, honey. I say think of weather first because I chose to come to upstate New York and it snowed Yay, my freshman what? year on Halloween. And my mother said to me, she goes, you chose that place, just so you know. Well, we're glad you did. Yes. And I stayed, which must say a lot about this city. Yeah, yes. Yes. Okay. So the plan, I think we got a good understanding of that. Yes. And now moving to the next would be... So the second thing is, once you have your plan together, a lot of people say, well, yeah, but nowadays things are so different or just think of the political climate we're in or Ah. think about the markets. We have to continuously maintain a level of faith in the future, always. So whether it be, like I said, political environment, whether it be geopolitical issues, we've had a lot. This country has been through a lot. Yeah. And it always seems like it's the worst when you're living in it, especially when you get into retirement, because at that point you aren't working, you aren't saving, you can't really go back. You're living on a fixed income. And so every single market blip, every single headline, every single front cover of a magazine can really turn your emotions upside down. And this is where we get that lack of sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And the plan certainly helps, and having someone to guide you through it. An advisor is critical, I think, when you get to be in retirement because we make really emotional decisions because it is because yeah. you you are in in that point where there's not a whole lot of variables that you can change. And that's the hardest part of yes. finances, right? To remove the emotion out. And it's eighty percent of my day yeah. is behavioral management. Eighty well, percent, yeah. yes. But if you do have the plan, and a lot of people say you've said it before as an expert. Once you have the plan, don't worry about the noise about yes. what's going on. You have your plan. Yeah. I feel like people are like, wait, I should be panicking. They told me I need to panic. Yes. I need to. Pa-. But you have your plan. 
Don't panic. Just follow it, right? Well, we'll talk about that next month because that's really nice in practice. And when I do the workshops, <laughs> I always say, this is a nice little vacuum in here. And we live yeah. in this perfect vacuum. And when you leave here, you'll have the five principles. They have been proven to be successful for hundreds of years. You will end up better than most people in your life financially if you follow these principles. But we don't because here are the four most common mistakes. Ah. And we- a hundred percent is we walk out of the vacuum and the rest of the world starts to get involved. Yeah. Okay. So no matter what, we have to have a certain level of faith in the future, regardless of what's going on. So let's just narrow it down to markets. For example, the only way that the stock market, which most of us need to have a portion of our portfolio in the stock market, no matter how old you are, the only way the stock market goes to zero is if every one of us stops buying things. And I don't mean just in Rochester or in New York or in the United States. I mean across the world, companies have to cease to sell anything or to provide a service to anybody ever again. We know that's not going to happen. Yeah. Now, does the market have times where when we look at it as a as a balloon, for example, the air has to get let out of the balloon in a healthy way in order for it not to pop? And that's okay. We can't have companies that are valued way too high versus what their true valuation is. And that's what markets do. They tend to, in the short term, become overvalued, become undervalued. And so you'll see these pullbacks and you'll watch the news. And of course, if the news channels only gave you these five concepts that we're talking about today, they would not last more than two or three days. Yeah. It's, it's not exciting. Everything we're talking about today is, quote unquote, boring, but it's right. I respect what they do, but you're right. They have to create a story around it. 24-7. Yeah. 24-7. So if you think about weight loss or any other major thing that we're trying to achieve, a habit that we're trying to break, a lifestyle change that we're trying to make, Mm -hmm. businesses that we're trying to create, it takes time. It takes time And it takes patience. And the more that you look for the quick and easy way out, the less satisfaction it will be in the long term. And quite frankly, the less it will be habit forming and something that you can continue to repeat for the rest of your life. Yeah. So what we're talking about today is not going to be the get rich quick scheme. It's not going to be very exciting and have a lot of sizzle, but it absolutely works all the time, no matter what the situation is. Which I feel like women don't mind that. No, as long as women are educated, we actually are better. And I don't like to pin women against men, but statistically, we are better at investing over time when we're educated properly because we do have. We like to have a a more of a glass half full kind of look. We don't want to dabble as much. We are okay with just being patient. It's this notion that things will get better. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. And so when you're looking at the markets and they're going down, when I started my career, it was right as 9-11 started. So I started in the beginning part of 2001, and we were in the middle of the dot-com bubble Mm -hmm. bursting. Mm -hmm. We were in a recession, and then September 11th happened. And I remember thinking, "There's how are we going to get out of this? It It was insane to even think of how... The markets were going to recover. We closed the markets down for four days. What was the world going to look like after this? And despite the human tragedy, 
The country rallied, the world rallied, and we came back. Fast forward again to 2008 and 2009, we almost had a complete financial collapse in the country and the rest of the globe, and we managed to get through it. And there are so many people that disengaged from the market. Even people that were saving and still working just didn't want to see their money going down. So putting a dollar into the 401k and seeing it going down, they just stopped contributing. And unfortunately, they don't get right back in as soon as the market bottoms. So the market bottomed on March 9th of 2009 and then started to go up from that point on. And for the first, I don't know how many months and years, it was this is going to be a double dip recession. The second dip is going to be worse than the first. So if you got out in the middle of it all, you, you didn't get back in. If you you're lock, hearing exactly, that, yeah. you locked in your losses. And then all of a sudden you're hearing that whatever recovery we're having isn't real. And that not only is it not real, but the second part of it's going to be worse than the first. You're just staying in cash and there's no recovering from that. Yeah. There is no way to recover from not being in a market that is up high double digits for years. You could have made so much more money. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And everybody's situation is different. Everybody's risk sure. tolerance is different. What everybody's needs are different. That's why it all comes back to the plan. But when you have a plan in place, you have to have faith that the future will continue to show positivity in the long run, that the markets are up about 70%, 75% of the time, and they're down about 25%. Mm-hmm. And it's that 25% that really makes or breaks your success. So that's number two. Okay. Having faith in the future. Faith in the fact that things will get better. So number three kind of ties into that with um, this notion of patience and discipline. So you have your plan. Mm -hmm. You know what you need to be doing. Let's say somebody says to you, we recommend that you put two or five hundred dollars more a month into your 401k consistently every single month. And no matter what's happening in the market, you consistently do this Mm -hmm. or you're retired and your advisor says you can afford to spend or take $2,000 a month out of your IRA in order to live, patience and discipline means you actually do it. And you do it no matter what is going on around you. And you may have neighbors that say, what, you're only up 6%, I'm up 12 Oh, gosh, that's the worst. Yes. And then all Here of a sudden- Here we go back to that, exactly. right? Out so, of our vacuum. Exactly. So why- why do I need to stay patient when so many other people are doing so well? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to stay patient when it looks as if the market's always going to go up? Much like the real estate market was always going to go up in 2008. Patience and discipline says that we are never going to knock it out of the park. We're never going to be number one for any short period of time. We're also never going to be the last at any given time, but we're going to consistently be what we should be over time. And that feels good. Knowing this is not a race that we have to win. No. It's not a competition. No, you're not going to pick the the very best mutual fund in any given year. It's not possible. But your neighbors will tell you that they did. Oh, of course. Right. And your coworkers. Yeah. They time the market. Yes. Perfectly. Perfectly Which is impossible, but sure. Right. There's not a single person on the planet that's capable of doing it but your neighbor. (laughs) I always compare it to... The gambler who only tells you about the wins. Oh, of course. And not the, you know, 6,000 pieces of paper that are in the garbage that that they lost. Sure, sure. Just keep it in the back of your mind that 
the more patience that you can have, the more disciplined you can be in your investment approach or in your um, distribution approach. So remembering that it's as important to save on a consistent basis as it is to also take out on a consistent basis. So I have clients that when we sit down, we determine a proper amount that they can take out of their portfolio. If you start to go above that on a routine basis, taking excess funds out, you will run out of money. Oh, even if you say just this month. Yes. And I mean, don't get me wrong. We try to make the plans cushioned enough for emergencies. Sure. But but if you are consistently taking out additional funds every single year, then the plan itself was false. And keep in mind that when you are doing your plan, most of the variables are coming from you, whether it be the quantitative type of information, social security, whether you have pensions, the balances in your IRAs. But it's also you being honest with yourself about how much you're going to spend. And if you just want to get out of work so badly, <laughs> you'll say, oh, I was making 100 grand and I only really need to spend 20. Yeah, yeah. You're only kidding uh, yourself. Sure. Because ultimately, you're going to be the one running out of money. And there's no amount of finagling that anybody can do to a portfolio to make up for that. Okay. So patience and discipline. And discipline is also big when the market is down. We, as human beings, for some reason, feel really good paying a premium for the for stocks. So we want to see the stock market go up before we feel good about investing in it. We will haggle and we will try to negotiate the lowest price on everything else on the planet. Yeah. But we want to see the market heading positive as opposed to looking at negative environments in the market as huge buying opportunities. Yeah. Think of it as a big discount at the mall. Huge. So mm-hmm. if you are currently working and the market is down, find more money to put in if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Consistently contribute whatever it is that you're contributing and be disciplined about it. But absolutely, if you can afford to invest more when the market's actually correcting, there's so much more upside potential. So being patient, being disciplined. So when everybody is talking about panic, 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 Mm -hmm. you are like, oh, I am so excited. Exactly. Because I'm going to get a discount. Right. And just don't look at your statements. Faith in the future. Yes. Turn the TV off and don't look. Okay. That's it. So we have a plan. We've got faith in the future and we're patient and we're disciplined. So what do we do now with these investments? Depending upon what you're saving for, you'll have short-term goals, Mm midterm goals, and long-term goals. Each of these will determine how you allocate those resources. So if I want to buy something in a year from now, I'm not going to invest in the stock market because anything can happen in a year. So it's probably safer to have it in a CD or in cash or something that isn't going to go down and is accessible to you. But as we get into long-term goals like retirement, this is where it's really important to look at what your time horizon is, what your risk tolerance is, and what you're trying to achieve from the portfolio. So asset allocation simply means how much do I have in stocks, how much do I have in bonds, and how much do I have in cash? Okay, right there, you probably lost a lot of people. Yes. Stocks and bonds. Okay, so there's two ways that you can invest. You can either own something or you can loan something. So owning something means I own a portion of a company. Okay. That's a stock. So 
if I want to invest in ABC company, I can buy a small amount in comparison to the rest of the stocks that are out there, but a small, (laughs) tiny portion I actually own. That gives me huge upside potential, but it also gives me the roller coaster ride of when things are not going great in any particular quarter or if something happens to a particular company in, in the short term that and also just overall market risk. So you're mm-hmm. going that's where you see that kind of roller coaster in the stock market. You own real estate, you can own tangible items, jewelry, things like that. When you own something, you participate in all the upside potential, but you also have to take in the short term, the ebbs and flows of, of ownership. So anybody that's listening that owns a business knows that if it's a good business and you have solid, a solid foundation, a solid plan, you know you're providing a good either product or service. Mm-hmm. If you have a bad year, you're not going to bail on everything. But you may have to adjust things or you may have to be patient and, and yeah. make sure that you're getting through. So that's that's ownership. That's stocks. And typically when we talk about this, we talk about them in the form of mutual funds. So most people aren't necessarily buying individual stocks, especially when we look at our 401ks and mm-hmm. our different retirement plans. You're buying mutual funds, which is basically just a collection of 100 to 150 different stocks that you and thousands of other people invest into one giant pool. So okay. it's a way for you to get access to investments like never before. When we go back to the 40s and 50s and 60s, this wasn't, a, it wasn't an option. You, you bought stocks. This allows you to have a broader spectrum so you're not just putting all your money or your eggs in, in one, one basket. In one company. Yes. Okay. We don't want to speak about locally how difficult that's been for some people. So when we talk about asset allocation, it's ownership and mm-hmm. then we have loanership. That's bonds. Basically, you can loan money to the federal government, state governments, corporations. You're loaning them money for capital improvements, for different research and marketing that they want to do, and they're willing to pay you back interest to utilize your funds. So you can loan a company, let's say $10,000, they're willing to pay you 5% interest a year. And the idea is that you have this steady income stream that isn't volatile, meaning it's not going to move necessarily with markets. And if the company is solvent or the government or whatever it is you're investing in is solvent, it'll pay you back your principal in 10 years. So think of it as the reverse of a mortgage. So the bank loans us money so we can buy a house. It's the opposite. We're loaning a company or a government entity money to fund whatever projects that they have. And then when you hear people say safe investments, that would go under that category? Safer. Safer. So every single investment has a certain amount of risk. So there's interest rate risk. There's also whether or not, depending on who you're actually getting the bond from, there are quote unquote junk bonds. So there's companies that aren't going to be solvent. So you gave them $10,000 and they promised you this huge interest rate And then suddenly the company goes defunct and you don't get your principal back. Mm. So there's risk in every single investment, but there's certainly less volatility in bonds. Okay. For sure. Okay. And then you have cash. Cash is essentially there for anything that's short term, anything that you know you're going to need in in a very short period of time. And it is not going to be something that you look at as the primary source of any type of long-term investment returns. When you say cash, is this cash emergency fund? Are you referring to the emergency fund? Should that be in cash? 
Yes. So you want to have your emergency fund very, very liquid. And you want to have it where you're not going to have to worry that at any particular time when you go to get it, it's down because it's going to be a down. Or, okay. Exactly. Yes. Or so, locked up in a CD. Yes. Well, some. I mean, it, it really depends on what your what your situation is. I mean, yeah. for some people to have a CD is not a big deal, depending on how many resources they have. But certainly anything that's short term, anything that you need access to pretty quickly, you don't want it to be in something that has the potential to lose money in the short term. Okay. So when we think about asset allocation, it is so unique to every single individual, Mm. completely unique. So we can't say that every single person who's 65 should have this much in stocks and this much in bonds and this much in cash. It absolutely depends on everybody's unique situation, which is why we go back to the plan again. And what are you trying to achieve from your investments? Because truly your investments and how they are performing versus the S&P 500 or some arbitrary benchmark means nothing. It's are they achieving the returns that we need given the plan that we put together? And so asset allocation is those big, broad categories. Then we get into the last two principles or the last, they're kind of, they go together, is diversification and rebalancing. So we have this asset allocation. We've determined how much that we need in stocks and bonds and cash. And we can't just say, Stocks. There's all kinds of stocks. There's all kinds of mutual funds. There's large companies. There's large U.S. companies. There's large U.S. companies that are growth oriented and large U.S. companies that are value oriented. And then there's smaller companies and there's international companies and there's emerging markets companies. So it's important to have a proper diversification, which, again, depends on the person's particular situation and what you're trying to achieve. You can over diversify. So I've seen people have 40 different mutual funds, but they all own the same thing. So they think they're diversified because they have 40 uh, mutual funds, but all 40 mutual funds own the same 100 companies. Now, when you go into a 401k, which a lot of people, I would say, I don't know, I'm not in the industry, but majority of people just click that target date yes, fund. Yes. The only problem with that, again, is that you're assuming that every single person who's retiring in 2025 has the same exact needs, the same exact risk ah, tolerance, okay. et cetera. So I would say target date funds are great for people who don't have a lot of money invested yet within the fund, don't have somebody that they can talk to in order to help them mm-hmm. to pick, or have a 401k that has very limited choices. Okay. So if all they have is these target date funds, and for the most part, everything else is is not conducive to what you need, then obviously those would be the, you want to pick the best possible choice given what you have. Okay, But without a doubt, you don't want to over diversify, but you want to make sure that you have enough representation across the spectrum. And then it's this notion of, yes, you want to set it and forget it where we don't want to change those investments based upon market conditions or what we heard from our neighbors or what we heard from our coworkers. But the market itself will absolutely change that asset allocation depending on how markets react in any given year. So I always use 2013 as an example. And that year, the stock market was up, I think, almost 30%. And bonds were actually slightly negative for the year. So if you started on January 1st with 60% in stocks or Mm -hmm. stock mutual funds and 40% in bonds, by the end of the year, if you did nothing, you would have 70% in stocks and 30% in bonds because the market was up so much and actually bonds were slightly negative. 
Okay. So if you were comfortable and your plan dictated that you should have 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds, and all of a sudden at the end of the year, you're at 70-30, you might be more aggressive than you feel comfortable with or more aggressive than your plan needs. Because nobody should be more aggressive than their plan needs unless they're really willing to take that risk. So you want to make sure that on a routine basis, you're just making sure that the markets themselves, not the market going down or up, but that over time, market conditions don't shift the allocation so much that it's not reflective of what you put together ah, in your plan. Okay. Most people nowadays have an automatic option in their 401ks or depending on what type of investments they have through their advisors. That takes the emotion out of it. Because if you think about it, if it's the end of 2013 and stocks are up so significantly that it's shifted your portfolio that much, and I call you up and say, Sandy, I think it's time for us to pull back on the stock market portion of our portfolio because it's up too much. It's it's higher than what you originally wanted to mm-hmm. have exposed to that type of, of risk. You would say, well, yeah, but they're saying it's going to stay up a little bit longer. Why don't we stay in it for a few more months? And then before you know it, we've taken the patience, the discipline, the uh, all, totally, all of the yeah. plan that we've put together, and we've turned it into a behavioral and emotional decision. And it almost always ends up not working out in the long run. So this takes the emotion out of it. It just automatically rebalances on a regular basis. So there is something you said, it, just a box you check on your 401k yeah, most, of the, most time, of the time? Most of the time, they might do it quarterly, do it you know, semi-annually, whatever okay. it might be, it, it's typically where it'll automatically reset it. And sometimes there's not much to reset, so it won't happen. But if you have a big shift, like in 2013, yeah, you certainly don't want to end up in a situation where you've taken on more risk than you're comfortable with. Okay. And it throws off the plan. It throws okay. off the plan. And all of this leads back to the plan. So every single thing we talked about has to be in line with what you originally wanted in the plan. And so whenever I have clients that start to get nervous, my job is to hold their hand. I'm not saying that you're not allowed to have emotions and you're not allowed to have a behavioral response to what's going they on. They are. You're not. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my job is to have no emotion whatsoever. Be stoic. <laughs> it doesn't happen for me either, trust me. But my, my primary responsibility is to acknowledge and understand the fear that's there because it's real. It's palpable. It is, you feel it, you think about it, you hear it all the time. Yeah. But to also go back to the education part. And if the plan is solid and you've been conservative in your assumptions and you've done it right and you've not lied to yourself, you will be successful if you stick with it. Okay. It's just, again, you have those times where you you become sensitive or you become vulnerable. And that's when you really need to have a partner to help bring you back. Because there are times where even I have said, wow. I mean, 2008 and 2009 was wow. It was without a doubt, wow. And so, um, you know, I knew that it was going to get better. But certainly, I wasn't looking at anything that I had myself. Oh, yeah, right. Nothing. <laughs> right. I was putting more money in, but I was saying, okay, yep. we've had Don't enough look of at this. It. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was the longest seven or eight months of, of my life. I was also pregnant during that time, so that was, yeah, fantastic. So usually in our in our fields, you want to go home and have a glass of wine after days like that, and I couldn't even do that, so oh. it was it was rough, yes. Yeah. Pop another folic acid yes, exactly. pill. exactly, or just eat another giant bowl oh, of yeah, ice cream. Oh, yeah, that's true, yes, yes, yes. yes. So, so those five principles 
The plan, faith in the future, patience and discipline, proper asset allocation, Mm -hmm. and then making sure that you're diversified and rebalancing. That is the secret sauce. There's nothing more you need to be doing. But we'll talk next month about why everybody Mm -hmm. isn't doing that. Would you say the four mistakes? The four most common mistakes that people make. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. CFP, VP at Morgan Stanley. You can reach out to Erica Cummings. I'll have the link to your email Perfect. in the show notes. And uh, the workshops, too. Do you already have another date planned for the workshop? We are in March and April. So we just finished the series for uh, September, October. But we'll have dates out for the following year. Okay. So yes. keep checking back on uh, on Erica's website. And thank you so much. You're welcome. Next week on the podcast, we are talking about resumes, what you need to include to make sure that your resume stands out and you get that job. If you're straight out of college, this is the perfect conversation to listen to. Or if you're trying to get back into the workforce, a lot has changed. And we will talk about it next Friday with Mike McNamara. He is the owner and founder of Talent Boulevard. All right. You have a fantastic weekend. I will talk to you next week. Cheers to being financially confident women. If you have a personal finance question or feedback about the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to Sandy at Sandy at RochesterBuzz.com. New episode every Friday. Listen, subscribe, and tell a friend about the Seven Figures podcast. Smart money strategies for women. Smart money strategies for women.